2: Children of the Night, and welcome! We have another flashback for you this evening that takes us all the way back to episode 16, which aired on April 27, 2012. This story was brought to my attention by one of our associate editors, Julia Zellman, who mentioned finding it particularly disturbing, and after listening back, I'm tempted to agree. But I think some of the themes that it contains, themes of isolation, Loneliness, a feeling trapped inside, and struggling with the concept of close human connection really seem particularly potent given the situation we're all in right now. I thought there was no better time to share this one with you, children of the night. So, without further ado, children of the night, listen with me to Christopher Fowler's The Eleventh Day.
1: The first day, Mia Terabin worked in the St. Petersburg International Archive, cataloging documents pertaining to post-war Russian-American oil initiatives. She was twenty-two years old, a little too slender, pale and blonde, with ice-blue eyes and translucence to her skin that gave her a haunted quality that men either found attractive or disturbing. Her colleagues joked that during the season of white nights, she all but disappeared in the dull glare of falling snow. For the past 80 years, the archive had been situated in a grand municipal building to the south of the city, on Moskovsky Prospect but now it was being gradually transferred to a vast, impersonal data facility, some 15 kilometres further out of town. Mia had worked in the gloomy maze of corridors for 19 months and was looking forward to being in an office that had sunlight and reliable heating. It meant she would no longer have to cross half a kilometre of icy marble to find a functioning toilet, or arrive at the office to find the radiator pipes frozen solid. The archivists with whom she worked were mostly older, unsociable academics from Moscow, who had chosen the job so that they could work uninterrupted by the demands of normal life. Here they could hide themselves away with their documents in an isolated building that protected them from the intrusions of the world. At 6.48pm on the last Friday evening in September, Mia cleared her desk, packed her suitcase and locked her office. Masha and Andrey, her two colleagues, had moved to the new building at the end of the previous week. And although they had not been great friends, she missed hearing someone else's conversation, because there had been nobody left on the seventh floor, except a couple of young men, who were being employed to check the contents of document boxes and tape them up, ready for removal. She never took the elevator, because it was supposed to be unreliable. But she decided to do so tonight, because the lights were out on the staircase, and because she was wearing heels, and the marble steps were treacherous. Usually she had boots or trainers to change into, but this morning she'd overslept, and did not have time to pack her bag with everything she needed. When bad things happen, who is to say where their roots lie? In the days to come... Mia found herself saying, If only I hadn't. And things would have been different if... She should have had an early night. She should have changed the batteries in her alarm clock. But later she realised that fate is simply an implacable predetermination, the disastrous consequences of destiny's journey. She came to understand that there was nothing she could have done to prevent this chain of events from occurring and was reconciled by the thought. She was crossing the marble landing, looking apprehensively into the darkened stairwell that lay ahead, when she heard the loud tinny ping of the elevator arriving. She looked up above the brushed steel doors to see its triangular red light flick on, The doors slid open, and because there was already someone inside the car, her apprehension evaporated and she ran to catch it. The doors closed, and she checked the panel to make sure that the stranger was also going to the ground floor. He was, so she stepped back and held her briefcase with both fists closed over the handle, and stared at the floor as people do, out of modesty. And awkwardness, and a desire not to attract attention to themselves, the elevator passed the fifth floor. It had mirrored walls of mottled gold, a fake wood frame, and ceiling which was actually painted steel, and a scuffed metal floor, according to the sign on the wall. It could hold eight passengers and was equipped with an intercom in the event of emergency. She glanced into the mirror and caught sight of the other passenger. He was tall and slender, with a long, high, cheekboned face, a strong nose, and eyes so deep-set that from the side they just looked like holes in his head. His sleek black hair was cropped to a line above his ears. He wore a thick red check shirt, a cheap generic brand of jeans, and dirty trainers. His briefcase was metal and hard-edged. She looked back at her shoes, thinking she needed to save up some money and buy a new pair because these had scuffed toe caps, when the lift came to an abrupt halt between floors five and four. Mia's knees absorbed the brief buckle in gravity and she righted herself. The lights flickered once, but remained on. What the hell? said the man. He'd been leaning against the panel, which was set into the side wall of the elevator, and now he jumped back as if he had been bitten. Did you press something? Mia asked. No, I wasn't touching it. "'said the man. "'Anyway, the buttons are recessed. "'It's probably a break in the power.' "'He pressed the ground-floor button again "'and raised his head, "'listening. "'But nothing happened. "'That's not good.' "'What?' asked Mia. "'He held up a finger. "'I can't hear any machinery. "'If it's an electric vault... It might have tripped the circuit. What does that mean? Well, the system would have to be reset. But the lights are still working. They're on a different circuit. He studied the wall panel. You seem to know a lot about it, Mia said, watching him. I'm an electrician. I'm installing trunking in the new building. I came here for a meeting to see if we can take any of the old telephone equipment with us. He seemed to notice her for the first time. Hello, I'm Galia Sokolov. He had to bend a little to shake her hand. I'm Mia, she said. I'm in records, but I'm moving out next week. I hope the new building has better lifts than this. Don't worry, they're super modern. I'm surprised this thing is still in service. I just hope the intercom's been checked lately. He pressed the speaker button and kept his ear close to the grill. There was a distant crackle, like a faraway radio station being tuned. But the sound ended abruptly. See, there's a hard line to a response station, but if the line isn't tested regularly, it can kick off. He listened again. No, that's completely dead. Sounds like someone hasn't been doing their monthly check. Wait, there's a helpline to call. Mia pointed to the number printed at the base of the panel. She fished in her briefcase for her mobile, then studied the screen. It says, no access to network. Can you try yours? I haven't got mine, Gaia admitted. It's still on my desk. I was going downstairs for a smoke. Wait, maybe it needs a hard reboot. Try turning it off, taking the battery out and putting it back in. Mia unclipped the mobiles back, shook out the battery, slipped it back in and turned it on. A minute later, the same message came up again. Wait, it might just be a dead spot. Let me try. ''I can manage,'' said Mia. ''I've got longer arms.'' He took the mobile and held it up to the corners of the elevator, then down at the base of the door. Nothing. Not even a weak signal. ''I've been meaning to get it looked at. ''I don't think it's your phone. ''There's a lot of sensitive data on the fourth and fifth floors.'' The rooms are probably shielded. If we were just one floor further down. Well, we're not, said Mia testily. What do we do now? I don't know, Galia admitted. He tried the intercom button again, but the line was definitely dead. Mia reached around him and stabbed harder at it. She had no fear of enclosed spaces, but it was getting late and she was supposed to be cooking her mother a beef stew tonight. The shops would soon be closed. Besides, the building was emptying out, and would be shut up for the weekend. She studied the button panel carefully. Is something supposed to be in there? Look. She pointed to a small rectangular hole in the panel that looked as if it should house a fuse or a button. Galia shrugged. It's made by a Russian company. You never know which buttons are supposed to be there and which ones aren't. They take out broken ones, then find the replacements don't fit. Should we bang on the doors? The caretaker might hear us. I doubt it, but we can try. Galia bawled his fists and pounded the doors hard. They shouted, directing their voices to the slender join in the far corner of the door. Galia produced a strong, loud bellow, but it made no difference. They took turns to shout for about an hour. Galia pulled a screwdriver from his back pocket and inserted it between the door and the wall. He tried to lever open the door, but gave up after a few minutes. I think it has a metal catch that prevents the door from being forced, he said finally. It's pretty solid, he sounded almost impressed. Mia sank back against the wall, frustrated and angry. I suppose we'll just have to wait until someone comes, she said finally. Someone will come, he told her. We can't be the last ones out of the building. What if we are? Then we'll be stuck here overnight. There are always people in the place on Saturday mornings. I sometimes get called in for the whole day. Hopefully we won't have to wait that long. Someone will come. He gave her an optimistic smile. That was the first day. The second day. The contents of her briefcase were laid out neatly across the floor. They included an almost empty bottle of water, it was unsafe to drink from the taps at the archive, an apple, a nutrition bar, various pots and tubes of makeup, her useless mobile phone, its battery now almost dead, a comb, a nail file and some documents she'd been planning to work on over the weekend. She separated the items with precision. My mother has Alzheimer's, she said. My brother thinks it's quite a useful disease. Sometimes he says he's been to visit her, and he hasn't, but she can't remember. She relies on me. But I don't suppose she rang anyone when I didn't turn up, she said. Later today, my brother's supposed to look in on her. She'll tell him I didn't come and he'll call me. You think he'll figure out what's happening? I don't know. He's not very smart. Probably not. He'll just think I've gone to visit friends and my mother forgot to tell him. I was due to look in on a colleague today, but only has my mobile number. She studied the contents of her briefcase. Okay, now it's your turn. Are you okay? Galia asked, concerned. No, of course not. There's no point in panicking, is there? What have you got? Galia sighed and began to sort through his case. He found a handful of boiled sweets underneath his papers. Aha, a treasure trove. You've been holding out on me. I didn't know they were there. He unwrapped one and passed it over. Mia examined it made a face. Yuck, butterscotch. Oh well, beggars can't be choosers. It was cold in the lift, but at least Mia had a thick fleece jacket to sleep beneath. Galia had curled himself up on the floor and dozed. It was 4.20 a.m. At half-past seven, Mia awoke and saw the contents of Galia's case laid out at her feet like votive offerings. A screwdriver, a penknife, a pencil, some rubber bands, a tube of glue, a lottery ticket, a scarf, some unopened letters that looked like bills, an entry form for a marathon run, It wasn't a very inspiring collection of items. I'm sorry, he said, sweeping them back into his case. If I'd have known we were going to get stuck here, I'd have bought better equipment with him. Look, you're an engineer. Electrician. You must know what to do in a situation like this. The lift is jammed because the brake shoes have come on, so there's no danger of us falling. They're programmed to spring out and lock into place if there's a power failure. But I think what happened here was a current surge that tripped the circuit breakers. The system is old. They probably have to be reset manually. And if there's no one around to do it, it doesn't get fixed. There's there's another possibility. Maybe somebody forced the door on one of the other floors. That would also cause the lift to stop. We can't call out on the intercom because the fixed line is dead. but There should still be an alarm, a light and a buzzer working somewhere, even though we can't hear it. We just have to stay calm and wait. What if nobody comes? They're closing down the building. Not yet. Not for good. There are people coming in and out all of the time, Galia assured her. Those men with the boxes, they're bound to need to use the lift. They can't carry everything, all those flights of stairs. But they're just temporary workers. They don't know who's in the building and who isn't. There's no reason why they should care. If the lift's not working, they'll find another way down. Maybe there's a goods lift. You worry a lot. That's what my mother says. What happened to your father? He died of lung cancer. His own fault. Chain smoker. Do you have a boyfriend? No. Why not? I don't know. I never go anywhere where I'm likely to meet one. I'm always working. But you're very, very pretty. She gave him a cool look and raised a hand. Look, don't, just don't, okay? This is not the time or the place. I'm sorry, it was just an impartial observation. Kalia, I need to pee. Okay. He looked around. Finish the water in your bottle and use that. Shouldn't we save the water? We'll be out soon. It can't be much longer. Here, look. Now, we make a funnel from the plastic cover of my paperwork. He took out his penknife and expertly carved a small cone, neatly locking the edges together. She looked at it. That's amazing. What are you, a survivalist? Putin is a survivalist. I'm not a fan of the President. Quite right. Keep your shirt on. Face the door. She turned away from him and squatted, filling the bottle. OK, he said when she finished, now give it to me. She looked suspicious. Why? I'm getting rid of it, it'll start to smell. He pushed his weight against the door and carefully emptied the bottle down into the gap between the door and the floor. Let's hope neither of us need to do anything bigger. I doubt it. I've been on a diet all week. The apple and the nutrition bar are on my lunch from yesterday. Why are you on a diet? Have you seen what's happening to Russian girls? I didn't eat either. I forgot the time. I usually have sandwiches in my case. Try and get some sleep. There will not be anyone here before nine at the earliest, not on a Saturday. OK. She settled herself back in the corner of the elevator. This floor was hard. That was the start of the second day. The third day. What's the problem? It hurts. Let me take a break for a second. Galia dropped back down on his soles and rubbed his thighs. OK, let's try again. He reached up onto Tiptoe and fitted his screwdriver into the screw head, carefully scraping at the layers of paint that covered it. Russian workmanship, he said through gritted teeth. They'd rather keep painting over it than bother to sand it once. The screwdriver skidded across the ceiling hitting the neon light panel. Support my legs, will you? Mia had no desire to touch him. Her skin was coated in a layer of sweat. Her eyes were gritty. They had finished the apple and had agreed to eat the nutrition bar later. Neither of them expected anyone to show up on a Sunday, so they would have to hold out at least another twenty hours until the remaining members... "'of the archive's workforce came into work on Monday. "'Got me?' "'Yes,' she gripped harder. "'His legs felt surprisingly muscular. "'She'd figured he was a weakling. "'It had taken this long for him to think of climbing up out through the roof. "'In fairness, neither of them had been thinking rationally, "'because until now they'd expected to be released any minute.' The ceiling panel was small and unpromising, not at all as it might appear in a film. At his fifth attempt, one of the screws holding the panel began to turn and eventually came out. The second one gave more easily, the third easier still. But the thread on the fourth had torn, and there was no way of removing it. I don't believe it, she said, staring at the ceiling panel. Can't you just force it? How? Galia asked. I can't get any leverage up there. Then let me try. You can hold me up, can't you? They switched roles. Once he had balanced himself, Galia raised her above his head, balancing her on his thigh. He let her hammer at the panel with the butt of the screwdriver. One half of it slowly lifted, but the metal was folding diagonally, raising only a triangle that was not large enough for a cat to climb through. "'It's no use,' she said. "'I can't move it back any further.' "'What can you see?' "'Nothing. "'Just black and a bit of the wall. "'Wait.' Lift me up a bit higher. She pushed her arm through the hole and felt something wet. A small amount of water was dripping into the shaft. There must be a leak somewhere above us. She cupped her hand and carefully brought it back through the hole. The water was iridescent with petrol contamination and looked grey in her hand. She touched her tongue to it. I don't think you should drink that, said Galia. We haven't got anything else. It's a bit brackish. Tastes like water, though. Take the lid off my facial cleanser and pass it up. He handed her the plastic lid, and she pushed her arm through the space once more, waiting for the cup to fill. I heard about a cleaning woman in Samara who got stuck in a lift and survived for thirty days by drinking the water in her mop pail. He was exhausted from holding her so high and nearly dropped her. It was hard work and took several trips just to fill the little lid of her makeup case. I hope I don't get sick drinking this, he said, eyeing her doubtfully as he sipped from the container. So, how come you don't have a boyfriend? She rolled her eyes and dropped down into the corner, retreating behind her furry coat. I don't want to go into this, okay? Do you think we'll be on television when we get out? I don't know. I don't care. I just want to go home and see my mother. It's weird that no one's coming to look for us. They're not worried. You usually go missing? No, it's just... We we don't check in with each other much. I take turns caring for my mother. That's part of the deal. What deal? My brother and I don't really get along, so we don't overlap our visits. She pulled the jacket tighter around her. Anyway... You are always asking me questions. What about you? You live here. I just moved here from St. Petersburg. I'm from Moscow. And before that, a small town you won't have heard of. Do you have family here? You mean, am I married? He shook his head, as if enjoying a private joke. No, I don't have family. Here or in Moscow. My father died. Mother's family emigrated. There's nobody left. There's nothing to say. Mia knew how private Muscovites could be and did not press him for details. There was no point in trying. Getting personal information out of them was like tearing out fingernails. You're pretty good, he said. What do you mean? No tears, no screaming fits, no tantrums. I mean, this is a pretty nasty situation, and you've handled it very calmly. That's impressive. It doesn't mean I'm not having a very bad time. My back aches. I really need to walk around soon or I'll seize up. And I'm fighting the urge to scream. Did you try the door again with your penknife? I told you it won't work. The thing's a cheap knockoff. I'll only snap the blade. Just try it again for me. Galia opened out the longest blade of the imitation Swiss army knife and inserted it into the narrow gap at the edge of the door, gently leaning his weight against it. He pushed. After a minute, there was a crack and he swore, snatching away his blooded hand. The blade clattered to the floor. Mia jumped to his side. What happened? The damn thing broke. I told you it would. He sucked at the heel of his hand. Show me. It's okay. He pulled away, dripping blood. She could tell by now that he hated to be touched. It was odd, considering how small the space was, that they'd shared so little intimacy, not a hug of comfort, little more than the accidental brush of a hand. Last night, while she had been forced to defecate into a plastic makeup up bag, they had shifted to the far corners of their cell, in denial of their own humanity. It's just a surface cut. He shook his hand out, turning aside. She noticed that he hardly slept. Whenever she dozed, her last sight was of him watching her. Why won't you let me touch you? I don't need to be comforted. I know how to handle a cut. I'm not saying you don't. It's just you won't let anyone help you. I don't like being fussed over. By anyone, or just me. Go back to sleep. Well, we'll be out of here in the morning, she pointed out primly. And you won't have to worry about me after that. You should celebrate
0: yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Fourth Day
1: Something had gone wrong. It was ten a.m. There should have been people in the building by now, but they had not heard a sound. And it had become cold in the lift. The main boilers are in the basement, said Galia. It's always hot down there. I think they've been saving money by turning off the heat to the occupied floors. It's a stupid system. Why can't we hear anyone? Mia asked. Someone must have noticed by now that the lift is stuck. The fourth floor has been cleared. Maybe the fifth as well, I don't know. I never have to go there. Me neither. I don't see many people going in and out of the building, but I figure there has to be staff still working on other floors. Maybe not. Maybe they managed to clear the building on Friday. "'but even that shouldn't make a difference. "'There must still be people here, "'and everyone has to pass the elevator bank.' (sighs) "'I don't know,' said Mia wearily. "'Nobody tells me anything. I'm just a junior. "'I can't shout any more. I have no voice left.' "'It was true. "'Both of them were now speaking in hoarse whispers. "'She threw a desultory kick at the door.' but as usually it barely registered the sound. Some things built by Russians were liable to fall to pieces overnight, and others were built to last a century. It appeared that the lift belonged in the latter group. Are you hungry? No, not really. I feel spaced. But then I've been on a permanent diet for the last three years. I'm used to feeling like this. I'm thirsty, though. Can I climb up again? Galia rose and waited for Mia to get to her feet. He allowed her to climb up on his bent leg, noting that she seemed to feel lighter, but perhaps that was his imagination. He was still uncomfortable about physical contact. She reached through the bent panel with her cup and waited for water to drip, but none came. It's stopped, she called down. Maybe the leak was fixed. Or maybe it only leaks when the heating system is turned on. The heat might expand the pipe joints and cause them to leak. She lowered herself back down. I can't believe you bought nothing to eat in that tool case. I didn't know this was going to happen. Try the intercom again. I've tried it a hundred times, Mia. She gave him an odd look. That's the first time you've used my name. Well, I like to get to know people first. He gave a small smile. She laughed. It felt good to laugh again. She had to fight to stop it from turning into tears. The fifth day. "'I think it stinks in here,' she said, "'lolling her head to one side "'and looking at the plastic sack of shit in the corner. "'I mean, I can't smell anything, but it must stink, mustn't it? "'Like when they open astronauts' capsules. "'They say the smell is terrible. "'I don't know. "'My hair needs washing.' After two weeks, your hair starts cleaning itself. Galia was idly rearranging the papers in his case. According to his watch, it was 4.45pm, but there was no sound of any activity from outside. They were still taking turns throughout the day to hammer on the door and yell for help, but their energy was fading. Mia looked unwell. Her skin was greasy and pale and she seemed to be having trouble focusing her attention on anything for long. She stared from half-shut eyes, in a muffled, limbo-land between sleep and wakefulness. Do you think your mother is okay? Do you think your brother went to see her? I hope so. He's kind of unreliable. So that's why he hasn't tried to find you. I I don't know, probably. He disappears every now and again with some girl he's met in the bar. Why hasn't anyone else come for you? I don't fucking know, Gail, you're okay, she shouted. Her patience suddenly broken. We live in a world where people don't give a shit. Because my own mother doesn't even recognise me. If I'm honest, if I'm really honest, there's no one out there who cares if I live or die. no one. I'm sorry, he said, reaching out towards her. Don't touch me, don't fucking touch me. All right, he said. All right. They sat in the respective corners of their cell and listened to the silence in the shaft. Then they heard it. The unmistakable sound of a woman in heels walking across marble and a man's footsteps heavier, wider, very close. They were talking. Their conversation faded and grew in a fluctuating wavelength. Helia pressed his ear to the door. Mia tried to get to her feet, but had to be assisted. Help! We're in here! We're inside. Call someone, please help us. They kicked against the door with their heels, then listened. The voices and the footsteps had stopped. Were they looking at the elevator, trying to hear who was inside? They called and hammered and listened. But there was nothing more from beyond the steel walls. The silence was palpable. And overpowering. What's wrong with people, she said. Sliding slowly down the mirrored wall. What the hell is wrong with these people? The sixth day. My period should have started. that will be nice, won't it? I have no tampons. Pity... There would have been something else we could have added to the pile in the corner. She nodded at the plastic bag of excrement. Your period can stop in times of stress, he said. I read that somewhere. Know a lot about women, don't you? She asked belligerently. When was the last time you went with a girl? Have you even had a girlfriend? He looked down at the floor between his knees. It's none of your business. Really? We've spent a lot of time together, and you ask plenty of questions about me, but you never talk about yourself, beyond the fact that you resented your mother remarrying and moving to France. Do you even like girls? Of course I do. His voice was barely a whisper. I love them. Well, I would have "'thought this was a perfect opportunity "'for you to get to know one really well. "'But all you do is stare at me. "'I've seen you watching me when I'm trying to sleep.' "'I don't have anything to say. "'Men don't talk as much as women. "'So now you understand, all women. "'I didn't know you were such an expert. "'I know what you're trying to do, Mir. "'You're trying to goad me, but it won't work.' I'm not angry. Really? Why not? You should be. If you'd taken the stairs, if the power hadn't gone off, if the lift hadn't broken down, if the building wasn't being emptied, you'd be home right now having a wank in front of your computer. Why are you behaving like this, Mia? It won't solve anything. Exactly. Exactly. Nothing I say or do is going to make any difference. If someone was going to come, they'd have been here by now. Something is wrong out there. I don't know what, but it's not normal. What's going on outside is not just another working day. It's something bad, or weird, or... I don't know. It's just not... not right. We can hear them. They must be able to hear us, but they do nothing. Maybe the world's come to an end. Maybe Martians took over. Maybe we're already dead. Don't talk like that, said Galia angrily. You mustn't say that. Why not? Face it, we might as well be. Nobody's going to rescue us. We're going to die in here. A pair of pathetic, pointless deaths. It's over. You're just being crazy because you're upset. It's dehydration. Our bodies are made up of two-thirds water. We need it for circulation and breathing and to build energy. If you're losing more water than you're taking in, you dehydrate. But it's cold in here. I'm not sweating. No, but the air's dry. You only have to lose just two and a half percent of your body weight to lose a quarter of your power. I mean, for a 175-pound man, that's only around two quarts of water. Then your blood gets thicker and loses volume. Your heart has to work harder, and your blood slows. What happens after that? Then you die. How long do you think we've got? I don't know. We last had water the day before yesterday. You could survive without food for four to six weeks. But water? We've got maybe four, five days tops. The seventh day. A new fatalism had settled in the elevator. They tried the leak again but found no more water. And besides, Galia was no longer able to lift Mia close to the ceiling. The floor was littered in debris from their cases. Everything had been torn up and examined for the possibility of providing nutrition. The door was covered in scratches, but they had not been able to move it even a quarter of an inch. Occasionally they heard a noise outside that might have been a person or a rat. It was hard to tell the sounds apart from each other. Mia could no longer think clearly. Her thoughts were a jumble of faded memories and half-formed notions. In her lucid moments, she thought of her mother alone in her apartment without food, not remembering how to use her telephone, and of her brother out somewhere, partying with some crazy girl, oblivious of his responsibilities. Then she would drift into the world of her imagination, remembering her childhood at the red-walled apartment in Kurovsk, her grandmother's patient smile, the puppy that died of distemper at Christmas. When she awoke, Galia was cradling her head on his thigh and stroking her wet hair from her eyes. What are you doing? she asked. You have a fever. I found two headache pills in my jacket. Do you think you can swallow them without water? I don't know. He pressed the pain-relief tablets from their foil blister pack and folded them into her hand. Think of a knife cutting a fresh lemon in half and imagine the juice from it running into your mouth. She looked up at him and smiled. It's working. My mouth is wet. She ate the pills, but could not swallow them, and crunched them instead. Tell me about your family, he said gently. Tell me about growing up. Tell me who you hope to fall in love with. She spoke in a faint whisper, but her thoughts did not hold for long, and soon she was asleep once more. The Eighth Day It was late afternoon when they heard the laughter. A woman screeching in what sounded like a helpless fit of hysterics. She had to be drunk. The noise was a burst of mundane life in their strange cocoon. Galia made a show of shouting, but knew by now there would be no response. In the last few days they had heard several others walking and talking, but there had been no reaction to their hammering. Mia briefly opened her eyes at the sound, but vaporised into fitful sleep once more. Her skin had turned a strange shade of yellow-grey, as if she was becoming bruised from within, and she looked even more translucent than usual fading into her surroundings, sinking within the sweat-drenched folds of her reeking clothes. Galia stared at his thinning reflection in the opposite wall, noting how they looked like a couple long familiar with each other. It was a peaceful image to hold in his mind as he allowed himself to fall asleep. The Ninth Day The lassitude of their becalmed world deepened, like a mantle of snow or dust, thick and museum-silent, so viscous that it was virtually unbreathable. Galia reached out and pressed his fingertips against the mirrored wall, Wondering if he might be able to pass through it now, for it felt as if some fundamental metaphysical change was occurring, in the same way that the atoms of corpses eventually mingled with the wood of their coffins. He found a few crumbs of something, possibly brick dust, hopefully the remains of a wholemeal biscuit, in the insides of his jacket and gently forced them between Mia's lips, trying to make her eat them, but they remained on the tip of her dry tongue. At some time in the course of that endless neon-lit evening, Mia's fever broke, and she appeared a little healthier. The sweat dried on her brow, and she was able to sit up. She was too dry to speak, and Galia knew she needed water or she would die in the next few hours. Slowly and painfully, he rose and wedged himself in a corner of the lift, reaching up inch by inch until he could reach his fingertips through the panel. He retracted them in wonder. They were cold and wet. Mia, the water's back. I think I can get us some. But I'll need to stand on you to reach it. I can't. Everything hurts. Please, Galia, no. Ignoring her, he pushed a foot on her back, jumped up, and reached the plastic cup through the panel until she cried and sharply rolled away from him, causing him to fall with the cup, spilling the precious droplets. You idiot he rasped. I can get you some water. You can last out longer. What's the point? She croaked back. No one is coming. Why should I bother to try lasting for a few more hours? Because it's not over yet, he answered. It doesn't end like this. The Tenth Day They lay together like old lovers. Galia pulled himself up and stared back at the smeared mirror. Mia was curled over him, with her arm around his waist. They looked posed, as if they were having a portrait painted. He listened to her soft, shallow breath, and then at the distant thumping on a floor somewhere above them. With infinite patience and care, he arranged her hair back over her ears and forehead and adjusted the coat that was her bed, so that she looked like any normal girl, asleep in her partner's arms. Even though her eyes were sunken and her lips were the colour of paper, she was beautiful. After a few minutes, her eyes opened slowly, and she saw him. She managed a faint smile. Hello, you. Hello. You're always there. Yes, always here. I was dreaming of fruit. Fruit and chocolate. The chocolate was so real I could smell it and there was a great lake of fresh water. That sounds like a nice dream. Maybe we always dream about things as they should be, you know, in an ideal world. I don't know. I've had too many nightmares in my life. Your life wasn't good. Is that why you don't talk about it? My life has been as bad as some very bad dreams. But that's what nightmares are for. They prepare you for the world. I'm sorry. Don't be. I'm sorry you won't get a chance to put it right. To enjoy the good part. You think every life has a good part? It must do. Otherwise, why are we here? She snuggled into his bony waist, enjoying this oasis of lucidity. There must be a part which makes you feel this is why you're alive. I hope you're right. I would like to feel for a moment that everything was perfect. We're all selfish. I know that. We want gra- (laughs) She stopped to cough. He tried to calm her, but she wanted to talk. Gratification. Pleasure. That's human nature. It doesn't make us bad. But we must give as much pleasure as we want to receive in return. Don't you think that? Yes, I suppose I do. She was happy that the matter seemed settled. There was no point now in talking of escape, or rescue, or survival. They had reached a calm plateau, where a purity of thought passed easily between them. I only wish... You should try to rest, he said. Noting that her last coughing fit had produced specks of blood from her lungs. I feel okay. My throat hurts less when I talk. That doesn't make sense, does it? Nothing makes sense in this world anymore, Mia. Maybe it never did. I only wish I could have experienced more. On traveling. I've never been to a really good beach. A tropical beach, you know like the ones in the brochures. I've never been to the kind of parties you see in films. Never had champagne. Never been to China or India or the West. Never got out of a car at a nightclub and walked to the front of the queue, all the photographers trying to take my picture. Not that I'd want to do that. It's just the idea that's nice. What were you going to do when you left this job? Get married? Have children? No. I was thinking of leaving to teach in an African village. I knew a girl at school who did that. A job you'd look forward to every day. With children and sunlight. Lots of sunlight. That's nice. What about you? I don't know. It's not been easy for me to overcome unhappiness. All I can ever do is to make it go away for a few months at a time. He looked at his watch. It's one minute past midnight. Another day has just started. The eleventh day. You've been keeping track. Yes, he admitted. Can I ask you again? Go on, then. She held his gaze in the mirror and nodded permission. Why didn't you find a boyfriend? Because I never met anyone who deserved me. Do you think you could ever have fallen in love with me? She thought for a while, and it seemed that she drifted back into sleep. But her eyes slowly opened once more. I think I'm in love with you now, she said. And there it was, the simplicity of the admission, without irony, kindness, or dishonesty, stripped of any other meaning, a calm and perfect statement of love that appeared like a boat on a flat, still sea. The boat held hope. And I am in love with you. His eyes held hers. I have always loved you. There was nothing else either of them needed to say any more. He watched her unchanging face as she fell asleep with his image imprinted upon her retinas and remained quite still as her breathing became shallower until it was imperceptible and the minutes turned to hours and her coma deepened and the day ticked silently away slowing to ever tinier proportions of the clock. And he knew she'd finally passed across the threshold of death. He checked his watch. 7.45pm. The building was empty once again. He set her body gently on the floor and tucked collar of her coat around her neck wanting her to be comfortable and beautiful now more than ever he had difficulty rising to his feet he dug into his tool case and found the red plastic rectangle and carefully reinserted it into the hole in the lift's control panel Then he pressed the ground floor button. He heard the machinery and cables moving above him. The elevator started up and descended to the ground floor. He cleared the detritus from the lift and picked up the chocolate bar wrappers that had fallen from his pocket. When the door opened, he removed the taped signs that said, Elevator maintenance in operation for two weeks and put them in his case. He was tired and thirsty, but it had been a moving and truly wonderful experience. He had experienced the most perfect form of love. Flooded with an overwhelming sense of satisfaction, he made his way towards the exit and the outside world.
2: That was Christopher Fowler's The Eleventh Day, as read by Kim and smith If you'd like more details about this episode, or you'd like to hear it in context, I've posted a link to the full episode in the show notes. And until next time, children of the night, stay safe and be kind to one another.